Charles, you have a very good welcome to the show voice. So could you well could you be the one to welcome our listeners today? Sure. Do you like bass? <laughs> yes. That's what I was Do thinking. You like you have a very uh, craft yes. voice. Do you um, like harmony? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Cause it's time for chorus, chorus versus chorus. chorus. Um, hi, everybody. Welcome to Chorus versus Chorus. I'm Dane. I'm Ethan. And we have a dear friend as a guest today, uh, Chuckles France. Hello. Hello, Charles. How you doing? Hi, happy to be here. We've been trying to, to drag him onto this show for a while now. We, we finally enticed him with a theme that, that he suggested. So I guess that's what it takes, just you, you being in control. Is that? Is that yeah, the- that's how I operate. <laughs> it's guilty pleasures what we're talking about today why don't you uh why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself what wh- what makes your engine go who are you what's your deal um musically any anyway anyway you say okay. however you want to introduce yourself music is the least important part of this podcast okay well i will i will do a little music thing because yeah. i feel like it's a part of why i was reluctant to get go on here mm. yeah i do want to i do want to actually <laughs> i do want to actually talk about that and not just riff about it so yeah tell tell us about your relationship to music and your reluctance to come on the pod mostly it boils down to like i guess since the advent of streaming services my like musical attention span has dropped to nothing and i mm. basically i just listen to the most hedonistic like pleasure center bludgeoning things <laughs> possible so that's you, why it was helpful to be able to choose guilty pleasures because yeah like, that's like what i traffic in now well you've always you've always had a really interesting relationship to you're an interesting like media consumer in the 21st century because i've always noticed you have a, a i think a healthy skepticism of just grabbing everything you want for free I remember you never torrented during the heyday of that. You're very, I think, judicious about cultivating the things that you can afford and like letting those be the thing that's a part of your life, which I really have always admired. Is that an accurate reading of it? Um, I think a little bit, but I think mostly the not torrenting thing was more my obsession with knowing what I'm getting. And Mm -hmm. I just remember in the early like Napster and torrent days, like, you could get something that was like, this is definitely Nirvana. And it was just not Nirvana. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's like a, a racist radio DJ. Yeah. Radio, like that actually, that actually happened to me in real life with a CD that I bought when I was like 13. I went with what? my dad to Costco. And back in the day, Costco used to have a big CD section. And so I bought CDs and what I thought was cool when I was 13 was Aerosmith. And so I bought an Aerosmith like greatest hits record and I brought it home and I put it in my CD player and I'm listening to it. And I was like, it doesn't really sound like Aerosmith, but I don't know. I'm 13. What does Aerosmith sound like? Maybe it's old Aerosmith song. My dad comes and he goes, why are you listening to Neil Diamond? And it had literally, <laughs> it was printed on the CD. It said Aerosmith, wow. but it was just Neil Diamond's greatest hits. That's very cosmic. Wow. It's very it amazing. Some so yeah, I totally. But you probably felt a little violated, and I, you know, you're like, man, I like pretended to like this and think it was Aerosmith, and like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretended to like Neil Diamond. Yeah, that's a really <laughs> good. Uh, that's a really good transition. Did you feel guilty about enjoying Neil Diamond? I definitely did not, and 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 I I take issue in some part with the entire theme of this episode because I think yes. guilty pleasures is a whole pile of bullshit, but I understand why they exist i think we we got to talk about that oh i have so many thoughts okay so our theme today is guilt that is guilty pleasures and i think it's an excellent theme idea i've had a a lot of fun with this all right ethan do you want to do the the pleasure of telling the listeners what the three subcategories are today uh, for the theme yeah so we have three categories uh beneath our overarching theme of guilt so our first is a guilty, guilty pleasure. So I guess one that you actually 
feel really bad about mm -hmm. having because sometimes guilty pleasures are like uh, and feel guilty about it but actually not really i just really like this song uh the second one is a guiltless guilty pleasure yeah no um, shame no shame at all and then the last one i really like this category should i feel guilty about this yeah I, I think deep down in my heart, I should feel a little bad about liking this song. But, but I maybe need someone to tell me that I've been a bad little boy. <laughs> exactly. The, the subtext for that. Yeah. Okay, so we need to, we need to have a meta conversation here really quickly before we, we dive into mm -hmm. it. What do we mean by guilt? Well, we need to define guilt. The two a, Jews. Yeah. The, <laughs> the two Jews podcast. and Charles the Honorary uh, Jew the, for today. Goy. <laughs> I am my friend. <laughs> so I'm going to open the floor to this, but here are my question. Here's my question about guilt here. When I was brainstorming for this, these are the questions that were sort of in my mind. Is popularity always a necessary ingredient in guilty mm. pleasures? Is it more the political and personal ramifications of the person making the art? that plays into the guilt? Like, are we away from the whole, like, oh, I shouldn't like teeny bopper music because it makes me lame and we're looking mm. more at, you know, the person making it. By that, do I mean, is it like still listening to Billie Jean or remixed to Ignition and still liking it? Because like putting a song by R. Kelly as a guilty pleasure next to a song by Ed Sheeran, who seems like a perfectly fine gentleman, a perfectly nice person, doesn't really seem fair to Ed Sheeran, right? It's so generous of you to say that Ed Sheeran is like perfectly fine. <laughs> I mean, is he a bad guy? I don't, I don't think he's no, a bad guy. No, I mean, comparatively, definitely not. But... Comparative, no, he just, he's just like a dude who, but that's like, that's what I mean here. And like- This we... is sort of how I interpreted the, the category designations, because yeah. I hadn't even thought about the problematic fave sort of definition mm -hmm. of guilty pleasure until I saw your guys' choices. And I was like- <laughs> Well, we, we'll get into exactly later, but I didn't really do that for any of mine, though one of my guys is a Scientologist, so we can probably. <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't have had Beck on any of these then. <laughs> um, Worse than R. Kelly, all of them, no. Yeah, I definitely think there's an element that, like, for me to really like something, there has to be people who don't like it mm -hmm. and people who I don't like who don't like it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, like... And that's def that definitely informs like what pop music or what, what even what popular music I will latch on to versus mm -hmm. not. Like I would say I, I love like early Kesha because mm -hmm. I think it's like it's distasteful to a group of people who yeah. I want to distance myself from. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. And thus by, uh, by projecting it from the speakers, you will, you will clear them from the room. Yeah, well, that, exactly. I won't have to deal with them. Yeah. Another question is like, I think if we were having this conversation in 2002, it'd be, it'd be very different mm -hmm. uh, in terms of pop music, right? Because those battle lines were very drawn between you know rock and indie and pop music and you know th three white guys sitting around and saying like oh well this is good this is bad and so i think what was interesting in thinking about this theme is as i prepared my choices is also like the idea of guilt around just pop music in general like mm -hmm. i was thinking oh there's this the the fifth harmony song work from home i really like mm -hmm. and don't feel guilty about there's a lot of selena gomez songs that I that I adore and you know wonder if I should feel guilty about that but then I was thinking like pop music is not uncool anymore it's kind of like a weird lifestyle hmm. brand mm -hmm. kind of thing now where that can be integrated into like yeah I love uh, Stockhausen and I listen <laughs> to you know weird 70s free jazz and I love Kesha right and so like what is that what do you guys think that means this this idea of guilt and pop music now. <laughs> Take <laughs> your time. Pop music's better now. No, I I don't think it's better. I think it's just that there is the idea of cultural omnivory is super hip, right? And is the now, right? really is That's now, yeah. Now. And it's completely changed to where you have to listen to. Rico Nasty, as much as you listen to Wise Blood, as much as you listen to Lana Del Rey, and all of those are of equal value. But if you yeah. listen to only one of those and one of those genres, then you're kind of a simpleton. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. uh, which is really dumb. And I don't think it adds more value necessarily to people's lives to have that omnivory if they are just a casual consumer of music. I don't know. I think that's equally as stupid as feeling guilty for listening to a certain band. But so Charles, that tendency for you to like music that grates on people that you don't like, has that changed given that it's cooler to be omnivorous now? Like the people that hated Kesha 10 years ago, do you find that those people that you want to repel maybe like Kesha now because it's like cooler to like more popular? Yeah, so yes. So I guess I, I've found more grating music then. <laughs> You're just going deeper <laughs> into the... Yeah, yeah into right, the- exactly. So well, we're going to get to PC music, which is then just Kesha on ketamine, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wanted to talk a lot about that whole scene. Yeah. So we'll so let's do it. Let's, let's, uh, let's dive in. So again, we're doing guilty, guilty pleasures, guiltless, guilty pleasures. And should I feel guilty about this? Which I think Ethan should write a new theme song. <laughs> I'll try should my I best. Feel guilty. No. Okay. <laughs> so... I'll get it started. I'll kick us off with the guilty, guilty pleasure. Mm. And it's interesting because we're going to need, in terms of the competition today, we're going to need to be defining different parameters for each category because I think this first one, the winner should not be the best song. It's the one that you should feel guilty. (laughs) So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get into that. Okay. So my choice for guilty, guilty pleasure is Stranglehold by Ted Nugent, the Motor City Madman. And there are two reasons why I chose this song. So there's no one grosser, I would say, in classic rock history. Maybe Mike Love of the Beach Boys is on par with the uh, level of assholery that is Ted Nugent. Ted Nugent's kind of like George Zimmerman. Like, it's not fun to hate him. You know, mm. it just feels bad. You just, mm-hmm. like, it's like mud wrestling. It's like, because I don't know, it's like fun to hate on John Mayer or something, but it's just like, because it's funny because he's like such a goofy douchebag, but he's a dingus. He's a dingus. First of all, this song. So Stranglehold, I just, I love this song. I think it's great. The lyrics are dumb and kind of offensive. It's just about like, I hate you, woman. I'm going to choke you out. Uh, don't don't worry about dumb and offensive lyrics. Yeah. My song is coming up. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, it's just so good. I'll, I'll get back to that by asking you guys what you thought about it musically. But just real quick, for people who don't know, are both of you pretty like somewhat familiar with Ted Nugent? The two things I knew about Ted Nugent before this was his repugnant right-wing politics. Yep. And that he was upsettingly, undeniably good at guitar. Just a quick rundown of... Ted Nugent. You know what? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read the headlines on his Wikipedia. <laughs> Allegations of relationships with underage girls. Mm-hmm. He described apartheid as not that cut and dry. All men are not created equal. He wished that uh, we had nagasaki Iraq. He did insult John McCain, though, which is cool. So moving on. Uh, if you just look at uh, his Wikipedia, it's just a, a litany of just horrible things that don't make you feel good. But then you put on Stranglehold and it rocks, baby. It's just eight pure minutes of disgusting ice cream sundae. (laughs) So so what do you guys think? What do you think of that song? I I had not heard it before. And I I put it on in the shower. (laughs) And uh, I recommend it. It That's a good, very rocking shower. Yeah. That's a good start of your day kind of thing.
Okay, so I actually think that's it for bad people for this episode. <laughs> so we can actually move on to the fun stuff. Ethan, uh, tell us about your choice for Guilty um, Guilty Pleasures. My choice is the song Fuck It by Iman. That's mm. E-A-M-O-N. Listeners, if, uh, if you were around as a human person in the early 2000s, you know this song. This song came out in 2003. We, no, um, Charles, Charles and I don't know it. You, neither of you know this song. Was this on really? like Bo- Boston R&B stations or something? This song was like a jam on MTV and VH1. Were you people not teenagers watching MTV and VH1? No. But doesn't he say fuck it a bunch? He says fuck it, but it was heavily edited for the radio and for TV. It was uh, reached the top 20 of the Billboard Hot 100. His debut album that was basically named after this song debuted in the top 10, which is incredible for how <laughs> apparently nobody else knows this song. A couple of fun facts about this song. This song prompted the ex-girlfriend or alleged ex-girlfriend of Iman to release her own song called F-U-R-B, Fuck You Right Back, <laughs> which was basically a karaoke version with different lyrics. Oh, and. Um, this song also earned Iman a Guinness World Record for, you guessed it, most expletives in a number one song. A few things about Iman because apparently nobody knows who this is. Um, I had to look him up because I also knew nothing about him besides this song from New York. He's from Staten Island. (laughs) If you want to read a Wikipedia page that is so obviously written by the person themselves, you should read (laughs) Iman's Wikipedia page. It's hilarious. (laughs) I love that. Some of his songs are written, I'm quoting this exactly, are written in a style called ho-wop, which, quote, blends the smoothness of R&B with the grittiness of hip-hop. Like hmm. as in, ho- check out these hoes. I I am like almost do- certain about that that hoes. is that that is true because pretty much all of his songs for the rest of his entire career, which apparently is still exists, still exists, um, are all about uh, how much he hates women who have cheated on him. So that's kind of his career theme. There's not a lot to love and not a lot to hate about Iman, apart from the fact that this song is like the most bitter, stupid <laughs> number one hit of all time. And I really like it. And it's annoying. And it's really annoying. His yeah. voice is fucking annoying. It's reedy. Yeah. It's really reedy and stupid. You could keep this shit from me. Yeah. You burn, bitch. I heard the story. Anyway, this song is terrible. And lyrically, it's really bitter and shitty and petty. It's just like the pettiest song on the planet so petty that it birthed another song that was like, hey, you're being really petty. And yet I really like it. And I know I shouldn't. I feel like a lot of the songs on our list are about nostalgia. And you're like, there's no reason for me to like this apart from I was 13. And I, you know, whatever reason I thought the song was cool. Yeah, I, well, first of all, I think petty songs are great. I I don't have any, any problem with it. We had that conversation about like Marvin Gaye's whole double album, uh, (laughs) about his uh, ex-wife, which I love. I think that's a, it's a cool emotion to mine. The first time I listened to this song, I was like, I dig this a lot. This is really catchy. Mm-hmm. And then the, the next time, <laughs> the second I was like, 100th. I, I was like, I don't want to listen to this anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm with Dane. I really liked this. I think probably the first two times I listened to it, I was like, <laughs> wow, I'm very much done with this song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's that, okay. it's that, pitch that his voice is in it's just like all right uh charles that was easy yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like yeah this song blows <laughs> <laughs> and you should feel bad for liking it guilty indeed charles uh i'm very excited to talk about your pick mm. for guilty guilty pleasure. yeah so we've t- we've touched on a lot of things for like where the guilt comes from and where the pleasure comes from mm-hmm. and this one's of the three i chose is the one that's kind of the most dishonest because i don't 
I wouldn't say I now like this song particularly much, mm. but it's definitely something I liked a lot at the time and mm. have nostalgia for. And that is for Will sure. Smith's Getting Jiggy With It. Mm. Indeed. We are all about is it. Is it Getting Jiggy With It? <laughs> with It. It's wit, wit, With It. With It. Yeah. Not a thing that caught on as a thing to say in conversation, but. <laughs> I mean, maybe for you. <laughs> as, I, as, I, as I have to imagine was the intention. Yeah. Given that I think where the guilt comes from for me with Will Smith is how cynically and brazenly commercial a project the whole Will Smith rap career is. Mm-hmm. And I think you can hear it in the lyrics in Getting Jiggy With It when he says stuff like, Siga Cigar, straight yep. from Cuba Cuba, I just bite it. From Cuba Cuba, I just bite it. It's for the look, I don't light it. They'll wait to hand me on the hands, they all play. Give it up, Jiggy, make it feel like four play. Yo, my cardio is infinite. <laughs> he is like, so clearly defining like hey suburban moms you can buy this hip-hop album for your kids because this is the edge i'm willing to go up to Mm -hmm. and no further i won't even commit to consuming nicotine (laughs) on record (laughs) and yet for those kids he's like hey kids i just told your mom i'm not lighting it but i still have a cigar in my mouth that's real do you feel dangerous exactly i was between choosing this one and choosing wild wild west because yeah. the thing I think I'm most nostalgic for about this era, Will Smith, is the phenomenon of starring in the big popcorn movie of the summer and also putting out a chart-topping <laughs> uh, theme song to that uh, which movie, is which I don't a, think is something a, that anyone uh, else has ever done before or since Will Smith. And it's like, it a like a point by thing- point recounting of the plot of that film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah i don't know i just loved that silly like super commercial phenomenon at that time what i think uh, is interesting about this song it's not only so obviously commercial but it's so obviously a further commercialized and sanitized version of like exactly what Biggie and Tupac were doing when they put out their kind of biggest hit songs is like this, you have, you spend a million dollars making a music video and you have like, you know, people in big puffy suits and you have, or the you know, sun, a sunglasses line. with that specific kind of reflection. Right. Exactly. is such a, 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 a relic of 98. Yeah. It's just exactly what it's like Puff Daddy if Puff Daddy had no affiliation with Biggie and you just like made him into a Hollywood star. I'm going to stick my neck out here and support Charles. First of all, I'm glad you chose this song because it's definitely the best of the Will Smith songs. Mm. I like this song. What I think about Miami? Yeah, um, no, re-listening to the, I haven't listened to this song recent, like until we did this, but re-listening to it was like, yeah, I actually do enjoy this still. It's good. <laughs> yeah. It, Sounds like shit production wise. <laughs> it does. It's good. And there's a, re- you know, I was reading, like, there's always been this rumor that Nas Ghost wrote this song. He didn't. <laughs> really? Yeah. He didn't. He said in an interview, like, he co wrote some of the songs on the album, uh, Big Willie style, which, first of all, Charles, the- Will Smith was my first love, my first musical love. He was the first music I was like, I like music. This is the music I like, even pre Weird Al. I'm talking about like wow yeah so will smith no definitely i had this album i had big willie style and it left a huge impression on me i still call the brooklyn neighborhood of williamsburg big willie style exclusively (laughs) no one ever knows what i'm talking about yeah (laughs) whenever i see a sign that says welcome to you know delaware or something and i'm in the car with my girlfriend Lindsay, i say welcome to delaware bienvenido a (laughs) delaware There's something to be so, said about clearly. those things that yeah. uh, ma- make indelible marks in your mind. But like, exactly. Ethan, you said this, you said this before, like about Avril Lavigne, 12 year old girls listen to music. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's a good thing. And like eight year old dorky kids, they listen to music. Yeah. And Will Smith is a good thing. It's a good yeah, thing. Exactly. It it's like, what, what, is, what music is for you? If it's not for you, then who cares what you think about it? Getting jiggy with it. So do you, you guys agree with my parameters for 
how this should win. I mean, I kind of think Charles struck the right balance here. I think I think getting jiggy with it strikes the perfect balance between the guilt and the pleasure. I don't think any of us express guilt in liking this song at all. Well, yeah, if 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 we're going by, how, you know, which song for which should we feel the most guilt? Everyone seemed to have a pretty good defense for yeah. this track. Like, I, th- I think this song could easily be your guiltless guilty pleasure. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, I'd put this on at a party whenever we're going to party with other yeah. human beings again. <laughs> no, not a single mm-hmm. person would be upset mm-hmm. if you put on getting jiggy with it at a party. Mm-hmm. If I put on stranglehold at a party, <laughs> it wouldn't be so good. True. Yeah. If okay, you put is on it going, fuck is it it going to party. Ted Nugent? Uh, I mean, you, you and I could both share honors here for this one. Mm-hmm. I feel bad about liking fuck it because for both of you you were like after after your second listen you're like oh this is trash <laughs> just like a special <laughs> type like, of song you kind know? of like just not a good song yeah. charles uh break the tie um i'm gonna give it to dane i'm gonna give it to nuge yeah nuge. Nuge. it's a problem it doesn't feel yeah. good in that round he just feels like a truly wretched guy yeah so it's not fun. we can go with that yeah i promise the nuge is the it's the only time this episode where we're just gonna feel bad yes yeah let's let's feel good let's be guilt guilt free about our guilty pleasure let's be yeah let's be guiltless now so category two is guiltless guilty pleasure charles can you kick us off with your choice pink and blue by hannah diamond okay sure I chose this as sort of a stand-in for a whole massive ecosystem of sort of pop music that's like very, very sugary and shameless. Mm-hmm. And it includes, so, so Hannah Diamond is part of the sort of PC music scene mm-hmm. in Britain started by A.G. Cook. You guys have touched on this a little bit uh, when you were talking about Charlie XCX and maybe at other times, but um, other acts in that are like Sophie, mm-hmm. more recently, an act called 100 Gex, who I fucking love. And to me, like, even, like, Kesha and maybe something like D'Antward kind of is, like, Mm -hmm. spiritual kinship with this scene. But um, I chose this song in particular because it was, like, one of the first PC music songs I heard. It has qualities that I think are very easy to point to as, like, this is bad. So, like, Hannah Diamond's, as a singer, is not good. Mm -hmm. And, like... As liberal use as this scene makes of like auto tune, they could have used a little more auto tune <laughs> in, this, in this song. To make up your mind, if you take me for a ride, do you think I'll be your girlfriend? I don't want to wake up and still feel like I'm dreaming. All I want to do is tell the world how I'm feeling. The lyrical content is incredibly vapid, but it still manages as all this, uh, like all the songs that I'm drawn to in this scene do, to have like a melody that makes me feel emotional. I chose this song in particular because it's like that tension is really strong between like, man, she can't sing. And yet this song, I like hum it all the time. I just love it. That whole scene is like that. There's that whole other thing, which is interesting. We're talking about the sort of status in terms of like bohemian taste for pop music of pop music that's like kind of not popular, and like especially yeah. the the later Charlie XCX stuff. And it's just interesting because it takes all of the you know accoutrement of pop music and turns it into like psychedelia. That's kind of, that's why I really like mm. PC music, where it's like this is top forty radio. But if you like took acid and, and mm-hmm. listened to it, and it's like the the elements there are familiar, but it's like all messed up and out of place. I think the main thing that draws me to it is just like trying to distill what it is about pop music that hooks into you and makes you feel things and Mm -hmm. makes you really, really want to listen to it again. Mm -hmm. It's willing to do things and be distasteful in order in in that pursuit. Ethan, speaking of time. (laughs) 
Tell us about your choice. D- Dane's so disappointed in me. I was like, no, a- I'm, I'm trying to not spoil anything. So go ahead. Well, the song I chose is my guiltless guilty pleasure. Ashley Simpson's Pieces of Me. I want to know your thoughts before I talk about my thoughts. Don't be afraid. My, thought, my thoughts are not going to change. You can, you can shower me with as much hate and derision as you want. Ethan, this song is really good. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's really, really good. Victory. But I, I wish you wouldn't be so afraid. I wish oh, you wouldn't no. have been such a cat. What do you think, Charles? This is another song that somehow I missed. And um, honestly, uh, yeah, it does nothing. It does nothing. <laughs> it's like a yeah. Jason Mraz song. It has no, you have no, no feelings about it. Right, right oh. from the opening, like acoustic guitar line. I'm like, oh man, this this is definitely from from a forgotten era. <laughs> it sounded like Everlast, actually, to me at <laughs> first. That opening guitar line. I, I love all of this. I agree with all of these things. On a Monday, I am waiting. Tuesday, I am fading. And by Wednesday, I can't sleep. Then the phone rings, I hear you. All of the TV that my sister watched as a teenager, I absorbed by osmosis. So, you know, all of the MTV reality shows and stuff, I know. I, I saw. Mm-hmm. So I, I saw all of Ashley Simpson's reality shows. Mm-hmm. Um, it was. It's so interesting that era. Just how sad it was that like a huge genre was just like watch this loser try to glom off her sister's success, and she mm-hmm. sucks and mm-hmm. she can't sing. And we're gonna show you like a montage of her not hitting the note over and over again. Mm-hmm. And she just had to submit herself to that because she knew it would give her a start to her career. I, um, I remember Ashley Simpson. I remember that, that whole thing, but I did not remember this song. Yeah. Well, for, for those of you who do not know Ashley Simpson, Ashley Simpson, sister of Jessica Simpson, who was married to the one and only Nick Lachey of 98 Nick Degrees, Lachey. with whom they had a MTV reality series called Newlyweds, which was insanely popular. So popular that it basically revived or started their careers and then created the spinoff series, The Ashley Ashley Simpsons Show, which was hoping for her to end comparisons between her and her sister, which, you know, I'm not sure that that helped. But um, Ashley Simpson wanted to make music uh, just like her sister, therefore ending comparisons between them, of course. Uh, She worked with producer John Shanks to put out this album, autobiography which was released july 20th 2004 some did really really well debuted on the top of the billboard charts sold nearly 500,000 copies in its uh, first week of release and this was the lead single and it um, has more plays on spotify than any of jessica simpson's songs i noticed there you go there yeah. you go the reason I really like this song, in my personal opinion, has a lot to do with the songwriter, who again is John Shanks. So John Shanks is a songwriter, producer, guitarist, originally from New York, and worked very heavily on this album. I'm going to name a bunch of people that he played with, and I think this gives you an indication of the pedigree of this song. So he was a guitarist for Melissa Etheridge. He played with Bonnie Raitt, Joe Cocker, Tuck and Patty, Tuck and Patty uh, being not only a, a very famous uh, duo in their own right, but also being the aunt and uncle of St. Vincent, Annie Clark. Mm. He wrote songs for Michelle Branch. He wrote songs for Stevie Nicks. He wrote songs for Carlos Santana, Celine Dion, Sting. So all of these people are better musical entities of what Ashley Simpson was going for. And I think that this song is really appealing because musically it is basically the same as a Melissa Etheridge song or a Celine Dion song. Cause I think it's a really well-written song. There's some really interesting things that happen harmonically. There's a little interesting little shift right before the chorus hits. It's kind of a little, little ear candy. The melody is really interesting. There's a jump of a sixth throughout the melody of the chorus, which is not super common. It's kind of a awkward interval. Perhaps why Miss Simpson was so unable to hit that note. To hit it, yeah. Over Gee. and over. Not really saying, yeah. Um, I don't know. I just feel like it's a really well-written pop song in the same way that we talked about Avril Lavigne a few episodes. Like, there's just some good pop songs that were produced for 
the 14 year old girls in the world. And this is a really great example of it. It's like getting jiggy with it. Sounds bad. Just sounds <laughs> really bad production-wise. But the you know the the melodies on top of it and the 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 person. Well, not the personality of Ashley Simpson. She you know she sounds like <laughs> pretty bereft of personality. But say. she it's the vehicle of it. But yeah, Charles, I respect your inability to think the chorus is is catchy. But uh, but I I I, I, I mean listening to you guys, I. I feel like I didn't maybe give this song a fair shake. I, I had it on a lot <laughs> in preparation yeah. for this, but I kind of, I think I was sort of unable to listen to it just because mm-hmm. it, it's Ashley Simpson. It's so, it so turned me off by seeming to me like an also ran of a mm-hmm. whole kind of pop song from that era that I, that I don't like the, of the popular ones. Of. Yeah. My guiltless guilty pleasure with a vengeance, Funky Town by Lips Inc. What a great band name, huh? Yeah, <laughs> Lips Inc. Mm-hmm. Lips Incorporated. Oh, Lips I didn't Inc. get it. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it actually seems like something that that, that that seems like a Charlesism to be like, oh, Funky Town by Lips Incorporated. <laughs> oh yeah, I would. Do I'm gonna that. gonna give you that uh, for your repertoire. <laughs> um, so a, a lot of what I learned about this song recently, so I've always liked this song a lot, although I want to give a shout out to, I know a YouTuber that Ethan doesn't like, uh, but I've been really enjoying his series on One Hit Wonders, uh, Todd in the Shadows. He's like a longstanding YouTube critic. And what he does is he just explores down the rabbit hole of the careers of people who have been One Hit Wonders. And it's very interesting. And he talks about this song and it has a super interesting story. So this is actually like, according to music history nerd lore, the very last disco hit. Hmm. Um, and there are like maybe some other candidates that, that came later, but this came out in 1980, which I actually hmm. is actually surprising. It seems like something from the 70s. The interesting thing about disco is that it is completely demarcated by decade. Once 79 ended, disco died. It just everything dropped off the charts and there's a whole super interesting story about and we've touched on this before and i think it's really common knowledge now and sort of the foundation of this idea of poptimism now that you look at music that's popular and criticisms of music that is popular through the lens of race and class and gender and disco is very interesting because it was queer black music and uh Mm. Latinx music and a lot of the animosity toward it was if not coded uh, toward that kind of racism and homophobia you know explicit Hmm. so disco by 80 had completely just died it had just been like commercialized to death you have the like uh, the Star Wars disco song and stuff like that it was just completely gone But then just out of nowhere in 80, Funky Town by Lip Sync goes to number one. And it's just kind of like a, a, a ghost soundtrack to like a club scene that no longer existed. It was written by Steven Greenberg, which uh, may sound to you like the name of a dorky Jewish man. And it is. Uh, he kind of <laughs> looks like Stephen Wright. If you can imagine that, he just has like this like gross- The comedian? Yeah. Kind of like gross bald, kind of like, uh, or like curly from the Three Stooges. He's just this complete black hole of charisma. And he is from Minneapolis. And it's all tracks. 
What's that? <laughs> so this all tracks. tracks. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so this is not like Chic or Donna Summer or anything like that. Which actually, like a lot of disco songs were written in boardrooms by you know white guys. So this is like an artificial construction of disco music by this dork living in Minneapolis. And he wrote the song because Minneapolis was just this backwater that he wanted to leave. And Funky Town is actually New York City. a multi-instrumentalist really talented guy and he was primarily influenced by craft work that was the thing that he wanted to recreate which i think makes a lot of sense and i'll talk about that more when i get to it and he hired uh, this woman cynthia johnson to sing and she actually quit a group called the time which was an offshoot of prince one of prince's kind of protege bands she Mm. left before they got massively popular which was kind of a mistake so the song becomes a huge hit out of minneapolis it's a nothing scene and guess who that pisses off who who was another musician in the late 70s early 80s who was grinding away in minneapolis can't think of anybody any any purple purple dudes Mm, nope no funky town goes to number one and prince is like this is despicable that (laughs) this is the representation of minneapolis i need to change so then he makes dirty mind and uh becomes prince and like kind of rests control uh of minneapolis's legacy you know creates this whole thing which is the minneapolis sound and r&b coming out of minneapolis becomes i mean prince becomes the sound of the 80s so it's interesting this is kind of the watershed moment where you know the the pop music of disco becomes the pop music of prince Mm. so i i kind of like that footnote a lot Okay, so let's talk about the song. It's a jam. It rules. It's so good. I've always held the opinion that the chorus is actually the weakest part of the song. Um, I think, you know, it's the part that annoys people the most and that like sticks in their head the most. But I I think that it is a hook in every sense of the word. It's a fish hook that, you know, goes into your mouth and makes you annoyed, but then it drags you into this underwater kingdom. Um, (laughs) He doesn't spoil a single surprise throughout the Mm. whole song. And the whole song is just like different in every moment. Every single time like something catchy happens, it's like a new concept that he's introduced. Every single part of the song is a hook. And it really makes sense that he was trying to recreate craft work. Because if you think about this as like an experimental electronic song, it kind of makes sense because it's like sparse and every element is given its due attention before it moves on to some new element. It's kind of like he's like building the sleekest, most perfect disco song that a computer could, you know, a computer mm-hmm. algorithm could possibly create. It's like the sonic equivalent of a DeLorean to me. It's like a retro futurist kind of like, you know, this was made at a time where people were starting to experiment with electronic textures, but like there's so much that's indebted to the generation before it, you know, like it it looks of an era, it sounds of an era. To me, it kind of sounds like this song could have been made of like earth, wind and fire samples just Mm -hmm. like put through a synthesizer. You know what I mean? Like it's Mm -hmm. so obviously indebted to disco, but there's a lot of elements of it that are looking ahead to what the next seven to 10 years are going to be musically. I think it's the perfect song to kill disco basically. Mm -hmm. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like the final, the final form and then it dies, you know? Right. I remember the first time I really like thought about this song, I was hearing the opening part it's the dit, 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 and then the amazing vocals. Yeah, synthesized vocals. I want to take 
And I was like, what the fuck is this song? This song is like the coolest song I've ever heard. Yeah. And then it gets to the Funky Town part. I'm like, oh, this is Funky Town? Yeah. <laughs> like to me, to me, the song has always been like two songs. Like yeah. the part that's really cool. And then the part that's kind of like corny and lame. Yeah. But I mean, I've, I've come to enjoy the chorus as well. Yeah. And like, you know, appreciate the song as a coherent whole. But there was a mm. while where I was like, man, the beginning of Funky Town is so, so fucking awesome so and like good, it still yeah. sounds futuristic to me it's like pony mm. like it'll always sound like mm. the future to me mm-hmm. but i'm so glad you chose this because i have never actually sought out listening to this song i didn't know it was so long and it has hooks in it that i didn't even know about like yeah. rhythmic hooks and like the more ex- like the you know non-radio edit parts yeah it's um, it's a really generous song every idea is so delightful and yeah it, it's its main flaw is that chorus, although without that chorus, you don't have the hit. But the chorus kind of just like takes up all of the mental real estate when you hear it. Yeah. Um, does the guilt for you for this? For me, the guilt comes from how many Shrek songs this song, this song is the Shrek movies. This song is superior. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Has any other movie caused so much pain musically for people? Like making <laughs> Hallelujah. Exactly. I don't know if there's been a critical reevaluation of Funky Town or if like people in general still think it's like an annoying disco hit. Because it's so embedded in everybody's brain. It's a right? jingle. Like, yeah. It's a, yeah. It'd be like, so, you know, what is a, if I sing, I'm loving, is that good or is that bad? And you're right. like, I can't evaluate that. That's just, it just exists. Yeah. It's like the clouds telling me, like, how do I, how do you feel about the sky? Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's just too much of the furniture of like the musical language that everybody speaks. I don't know if anybody could like reevaluate it well. Yeah. Um, I, I would give it to you for that song. I mean, I feel like all three of these are super good and totally like I get the guilt yes. behind all of them too. Yeah. I didn't get the guilt behind Funky Town, but you went into its history. And so now I know. To me, Funky Town is, is like any disco song, but mm. it's interesting to know that it was like seen as this horrible thing that Prince felt like he had to become an artist in order to wipe the slate clean. Something so bad that it made I mean, Prince. Hard, yeah. to feel, hard to feel guilty about the song that birthed uh, the purple one, you know? Yeah, I'll give it to Dane as well. Okay. All right, bud. Doing good. Let's take it home with the name of our spinoff podcast, Should I Feel Guilty About This? <laughs> so this is a category now where I think we're all kind of sitting in, in this painful nether zone where we know there's some, some bad things about the song, but it like feels good. Maybe we're, we're, we're still just trying to like decide uh, where, where to land on it. Okay, so guys, Should I Feel Guilty About Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke? Mount your defense first. (laughs) Okay, so first of all, so there's the whole story behind Blurred Lines, which I think is famous now, and I don't really need to recount. There's the whole cultural discourse about, like, is this song rapey? There's the fact that Robin Thicke had a whole meltdown you know, he is this douchebag who got really famous and it's like the worst kind of person to get famous because they're like sleazy and they're enjoying fame for all the wrong reasons. And then, of course, the whole plagiarism thing, uh, being sued by Marvin Gaye's estate for ripping off Got to Give It Up for this, which is, you know, the song was written uh, by Pharrell with Robin Thicke. And that whole thing I don't I don't really care about. Um, and I think is kind of like pretty stupid, you know. The reason that they got sued is because like the fe- the feel of Blurred Lines is mm-hmm. the feel of Got to Give It Up. And they were explicit about that. They were like coked up or whatever one night. And they were like, let's write a Marvin Gaye-ish Got to Give It Up kind of song. that Marvin Gaye's estate won the lawsuit is like pretty awful. If you can sue for the feel of a song, then like why isn't Bruno Mars bankrupt on the street for I mean, ripping off literally every Prince move? And uh, that's the reason why that 
lawsuit has become such a big thing in kind of like musical circles, the fear that now anybody trying to recreate the feel of a song, now you're liable for a lawsuit and there is a lawsuit that was successful that everybody, every single lawyer in the world can point to. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people had the wrong reasons for supporting Marvin Gaye. And it was just yeah. that like, we all like Marvin Gaye and no one likes Robin Thicke. So yeah. mm-hmm. I hope Marvin yep. Gaye wins this lawsuit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, the <laughs> implications are pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. So I'm on the borderline with this song. I think it's really catchy and good and well-produced while maybe being derivative. I think the layering of Robin Thicke's harmonies is cool. I think he has a good voice. Robin Thicke's just a douche, but I love this song. <laughs> I think it's really good. Okay, so tell me, should I feel guilty about this? Um, I mean, there are a lot of reasons to feel uncomfortable about this song lyrically. Yes. It's not explicit. I mean, the, I think the whole point of the song is the line is blurred, right? Mm-hmm. We're crossing the line. Mm, you know, should I feel guilty about this, Charles? I would say no. I'm, I'm kind of with you on it, Dan. Really? Yeah, I, yes. I thought yeah. you said yes earlier. Have you changed your mind? Oh, well, I just, I, yeah. The, the, my problems with this song are not lyrical. Oh, tell me, tell yeah. me your problems with it in general. <laughs> um, it was just like how ubiquitous it was at the time and overplayed mm-hmm. and it just, it's very easy to get sick of this song, I think. And that definitely oh, happened yeah. with me. I was nauseous from blurred lines over exposure yeah. at the time. And I don't mean to make my ambiguous guilt about this be about the lyrics. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. one one part of it. It's like, the song is very annoying. But from the moment I heard it, I was just like, this is cool. And then it just kept playing and playing. And I was like, why do I still like this? And then all of the <sighs> grievances against it kept mounting up. And I was like, why do I still like this? <laughs> so be honest with me guys should i feel guilty should i should i feel like a bad person maybe a little ashamed maybe a little like like jewish levels like more than normal (laughs) jewish levels ashamed or all right ethan talk to us about your should i feel guilty about this okay I am really interested. I have found no evidence that I should feel guilty about this, but I am not at all certain. So the song I chose is Shaggy's absolute classic, It Wasn't Me. (laughs) I don't know about you guys. I think this song is really good and I feel guilty that I think that. It's dumb that I like this song this much. Shaggy is originally from Kingston, Jamaica. He was born in 1968. He's 52, y'all. Had no idea that Shaggy was getting up there. But uh, still putting out music. Just put out an album with Sting. I believe it was last year. If you wanted to listen to that, that's a thing you could have done. But um, you could have made that choice with your life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There's not a whole lot to say about Shaggy. uh, And that's good, right? So, So thing I can check off of my box, Shaggy does not seem to be at all in any way, shape or form like a bad human being. Uh, served in the Marine Corps. He dropped some music in the late 90s. And then in, I believe it was 2000, he put out Hot Shot, which included It Wasn't Me and then Angel, another jam. He's originally from Kingston. So his whole patois is legit. This is not a somebody colonizing uh, a certain dialect or language or- um, This is Tom Hanks' son. (laughs) (laughs) And this song is about- somebody cheating on their significant other in a way that is so blatant as to be hilarious. And I don't hear this song song being like, oh, this person is doing a bad thing. And the song is like supporting this person doing this bad thing and they should be condoning it. It's more like, you know, it's literally on camera. camera. That wasn't me. Just say it wasn't you, right? It's not morally ambiguous, like uh, blurred lines. Right. Uh, It's it's, just, it's it's just clearly a joke. It's just clearly so over the top and hilarious 
and you know like maybe i should feel guilty because it's of a pretty like musically bankrupt era like we were talking about with the ashley simpson song but i like i really like this song and i have to just pose the question should i feel guilty about this is this a thing i should really not like uh i think you should i think this song sucks (laughs) (laughs) why it's so funny it's funny it's 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 funny funny. i don't think you should feel guilty about the lyrical content i think you should feel guilty (laughs) it's like kids bop reggae it's It's like why is that bad i love it it's like uh when i go to lincoln karaoke in chicago and they play it wasn't me on the karaoke track and it's indistinguishable from the real track Mm -hmm. charles what do you think yeah i think you should too i think (laughs) (laughs) i've always found this song really really melodically uninteresting and also Mm -hmm. i hate when there's a shaggy song that's like okay where is shaggy on this song who is this guy (laughs) who's not shaggy it's It's like like, when i go when i go to a shaggy song i want all that i want like i want mr jamaican shit yeah i want (laughs) i want i want boom bostic i want mr lova lova Yeah, I don't know. If if this song came on, I would definitely flip the channel. Unlike, I don't know, other kind of novelty, jokey song from this time. Who left the dogs out? Afro Man. (laughs) Afro Man. As I got high, I would would leave Afro Man is unimpeachable. So what I'm getting is this song. First of all, I'm getting, I absolutely should feel guilty about liking this song. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Uh, Who would have thought this would be the song out of the three I chose? Um, Isn't it funny that you all were very kind to me about blurred lines, but uh, <laughs> you're both like, like Ethan, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are more. Dana, I have to admit, I was kind of following your lead there. I was like, I don't want to make guilt, uh, Ethan feel bad. But... <laughs> Um, so, so what I'm getting is not only should I feel bad about this song, but I should feel bad because it's the most mediocre version of everything it's trying to accomplish. It's like not shaggy enough. It's not funny Mm. enough. It's Mm. not original enough. It's just like, so, (laughs) so milquetoast. I'll say it is funny. It is hilarious. It's pretty funny. (laughs) Okay. Well, I feel so sufficiently bad about this. How about we, you know what uh, else about the song is that it rips off manamana. <laughs> it wasn't me. You're saying you're saying the estate of Jim Henson could. Sue. That's what I'm saying. Mm, yeah. Damn. Okay, Charles, you have a curious choice for should I feel guilty about this? And I know that we've well, talked about this band a lot. Well, that's the thing. It's like this choice is a bit of a cop out because it's mostly about. I'm not going to come on this show and not talk about System of a Down. (laughs) That (laughs) that is where, but there are things about System, I mean, there's a reason System of a Down isn't for everybody. And I think those reasons you could almost say are like, well, these things are like objectively in poor taste. So like I chose the song Radio Video. Honestly, this is another thing where it's like a stand-in for a lot of stuff I like. And I almost chose a corn song. That brings us to the first, like, maybe objectively objectionable thing about System of a Down is that it is lumped in with, like, new metal, which yeah. is a, a genre that is starting to enjoy a bit of a critical reevaluation somewhat. Hilarious. I don't know about critical, but, like, people are, like, no, people are, like, copping to enjoying new metal again. That, um, that artist Rina Sawayama is doing like Britney Spears style melodies over new metal. And it's like a critical darling. It's like the worst thing I've ever heard, but like wow. she's one of the most lauded uh, artists of the year. So you're that not I really have to hear. Yeah. But yeah, like the, the, so there's just that fact. And I think you could argue that they shouldn't be lumped in with, you know, Limp Biscuit. But there's also like System of a Down does obnoxious stuff. They lean into like obnoxious vocals at times. And they definitely do that in this song at a few points. Both of the vocalists are kind of leaning into annoying things. Like the non-surge guy is like, I have a whiny voice. <laughs> and then... <laughs> And then Serge Tankian is like doing his like super theatrical. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that stuff 
I love it, mm -hmm. but I totally, it's totally easy to dismiss. So that's where the like, should I feel guilty about this kind of comes from. I think you could also argue in this particular song, the like transition from new metal to kind of like reggae ska and back and forth. Neither of those genres have that much cachet when done by, or like reggae, reggae and ska doesn't have much cachet anymore. I feel like, mm -hmm. like people mm -hmm. see it as a similarly kind of ghost genre, at least for white people to attempt. Mm -hmm. Those are the strikes against it. Yeah. I love this song. I think it's so much fucking fun. I mean, if, so if you were to if you were to take those like worst impulses, I think you could view them as strengths because they are lumped in with corn and Limp Bizkit and the dime a dozen new metal bands that kind of came out in this era and everybody was playing a Schecter C1 plus with drop D on their low string and playing it through a mm -hmm. shitty fucking amp they got a guitar center like that was me. TBH. I'm just literally describing the setup that I had when I was 15 years old <laughs> on my guitar. But they have so many elements that separate them from those genres and make it so much better. And they're so much closer to Anthrax than they are to Corn. They're so much closer to Hardcore than they are to New Metal that like, I think the comparison is only made because they were on MTV at the same time. It's as kind of a bands. Faustian bargain because the new metal milieu allowed them to be popular, mm -hmm. but it is what lumped them in with Disturbed and, and Stained and P.O.D. If they came out, I've always said this, if they came out now, you look at like how Gaga critics are for Death Grips. Mm -hmm. for example mm -hmm. um they would be hailed as avant-garde geniuses mm -hmm. and like their music is so interesting and so complex and like gonzo they're just mm -hmm. like so funny and scary and intense and like again like hunter s thompson ish and deeply I think, political. I read a, deeply That's political. another thing that sets yeah. them apart from like the, I'm just going to be aggro and probably, you know, talk about beating women or I don't know, I'm going to be even racist if I'm corn. Yeah. <laughs> the other new metal was trafficking and versus like what system was doing. Yeah. Interesting side note about them for people who don't know. They are from just outside of LA and all of them are uh, of Armenian descent. Armenian American. And so they took with them this kind of raging against the machine, if you will, uh, of coming from a group that was historically oppressed, bringing that into their music, bringing it into a genre that just as Dane said, sort of like became popular at this weird time that put them on the same playing field as all these other bands who had none of that context. None of those bands were playing rad fucking music about genocide and raging against the, the, the prison industrial complex. Yeah, and it, it's just, yeah. they, they came from such a different place that it's sad that they get lumped in together because they have such deep political roots from their upbringing and from their like musical context that they were coming yeah. up in. They're more like Frank Zappa than mm. anything in that era. And my favorite, the guy who isn't Serge Tankian, uh, the other guy, <laughs> Darren or whatever. <laughs> I remember reading a quote a long time ago and he said, we want to combine Slayer with Pink Floyd. That's always been the key that unlocked them to me. But like Charles, yeah, we've talked about them a lot before. It's like 10 times out of 10, 11 times out of 10, I will defend System of a Down and say that they're brilliant in one of the great American bands. I love them. Yeah. They rule. Yeah. For that reason, this was sort of a cheat submission because I'll never feel guilt. But yeah. uh, it's more it's more about... I'm on, I have an agenda to like educate the people on system mm -hmm. and let them know they're not just another, yeah. Um, I'm going to give the category to Charles. For sure. 
fantastic song mm-hmm. fantastic band fantastic yeah. guest oh yeah. thank you yeah. it was hard to choose the single system song i knew i was going to do it but i don't know i think like i think the genre hopping in this song is something that i just think is so fun i'm with you on that so do you guys feel guilty at all after this today do you feel bad or gross in any i feel way? guilty for having said i really liked it wasn't me by shaggy <laughs> I don't know how that, that was the. Myself. I don't know how that was the outcome of the episode after I chose a song by Ted Nugent and by Robin Thicke. <laughs> Ethan yeah. is the villain. Shaggy of the day. fucking started a charity where he gave a million dollars to a hospital in Jamaica, and I'm made to feel bad about my choice. He should have uh, thought about that before making that song. <laughs> before making that song, damn. Yeah. Well, when before you're right, recruiting you're right. that guest vocalist. Who we didn't talk about. That guy's probably a perv. Yeah. Oh, well, I haven't looked into a, I believe his name is Rick Rock, R I K R O K, all one word. Yeah. My, uh, I don't think you should feel guilty about the media you consume. That's my, uh, that's where I ultimately, ultimately land on it. I do think that you should think critically about it. And we've talked about this in previous episodes. Like there's a difference between just feeling bad, like, oh, I don't feel good about this thing and I'm going to do it anyway and try and just push that feeling aside and like actually engage with like, why do you feel bad about it? Yeah, I guess that's what it came down to for me when picking these is like, if I were in a public place and I thought I had headphones in, but then I turned out, (laughs) I didn't have my headphones in, would I feel embarrassment? The one that makes me laugh the most is Charles with his, you know, MacBook or whatever in a in a in a cafe and getting jiggy with it. Just that's funny. And he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, everyone. I'm trying to turn it off. I'm. <laughs> you're like plugging things in and it just gets louder. And you have it open in like multiple windows, you multiple. know, because you've like you've queued it up so many times. <laughs> This, this did happen to Alex McConnell in a computer lab with Soldier Boy's uh, Turn My Swag On, which is why I first chose that song. And, yeah. uh, that's really good. That's a song for a different time. Mm-hmm. So was it really that scary, Charles? Oh, no. It was very fun. It was fun, right? Yeah. Thank you both. Yeah. It's a good Thank time. You. I love this show. I'm a listener. Thanks, man. You know, Thanks, yeah. man. Uh, to our listeners, if you uh, liked what you heard or, you know, if you secretly liked some of the garbage <laughs> that we played today, you can listen Guiltily. to full songs by clicking on our link tree, going to the official Spotify playlist. So thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.